Time to travel with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, I'll be chatting with Mike Bassett, chef and owner of Myoga Restaurant at the Vineyard Hotel in Cape Town, about this Cape Town institution. Graham Howe, who's recently returned from yet another Australian adventure, will be in studio and we'll be discovering Sydney with him. Wild adventurer Fiona McIntosh will be on the line and we'll be chatting about her new book, Mild and Wild, Adventures and Activities in Southern Africa. Jenny Prinsler, CEO of the Franchuk Wine Valley, will be joining us a little later and we'll be chatting about the upcoming 20th annual Bastille Festival celebrations taking place in Franchuk next weekend. And if you need any information, just as a reminder about anything you hear this evening on the show, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd still like to contact me directly, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, the Vineyard Hotel in Claremont in Cape Town started out as a family home in February 1800. It's since grown into one of Cape Town's best-known and well-loved hotels. Mike Bassett is the chef and owner of Myoga Restaurant at the Vineyard, and he joins me now. Mike, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, evening. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This is one of those hotels that's almost become a Cape Town institution. Yes, it has. It's been around forever. Um, it has, actually. It's uh, Well, it's been, it's been around since 1948 as as a sort of modern hotel, um, but it's been around for 200 years since Lady Anne Barnard had the, uh, the house built in 1799, um, and it later became a hotel. So it's been around for a long time. I was rather fascinated reading on the website, I think it was 1894, a Scottish banker named James Mitchell yes, bought correct. the vineyard, and he then decided to turn it into a hotel. But I loved it. Rudyard Kipling, we all know who Rudyard Kipling was, he came out to the Cape in 1898 and he stayed at the vineyard for a while, but he wrote a little something in his one of his diaries about the uh, Mrs. O'Sullivan, who was the appointed to run the vineyard. And just let me read this, it's actually hilarious. She, he, he, Rudyard Kipling wrote, the hotel is kept by three thoroughly acid female devils, one with a moustache and no figure, who've made things just as unpleasant all around for the guests as the 12 hours of daylight would let them. But in spite of it all, we all got on very well. So, <laughs> so I think the, the ambience and the setting of the hotel probably made up for Mrs. O'Sullivan. Yeah, no, it's a, fa- it's a fantastic setting. I mean, the, the restaurant has got uh, views overlooking Table Mountain, uh, seven acres of, of or six acres of garden, um, so it's really quite a joy to be, be at work. So tell me a little bit about Myoga. You refer to it as an East meets West. Um, well, I, I, I do that because it's the best way, I suppose, to describe it. Um, but essentially, uh, the food is all f- uh, steeped in a fusion style of cooking, um, which could mean anything from an Asian ingredient mixed with a French ingredient um, to bring out the best of both worlds. Now, you opened Moog, I think, in 2007, and almost immediately you started raking in the awards, Mike. I mean, you've been doing incredibly well. Well, we, we did. We did. I mean, I did exceptionally well at my restaurant before this, which was Ginger. Mm. Um, and then I opened this one. Um, and we've had some really nice, nice awards, especially um, working on TripAdvisor. Um, we've man- managed to, to get to number two in central Cape Town uh, on TripAdvisor. And that's brought in a lot of business. Been, that's been great. Your, your um, accolade from Fodor, I think it was in 2011, that was also quite oh, something. Oh, yes, that, that, that was also very, very good. And then we won the Condé Nast Hotspot 
best top 100 restaurants in the world um, as well. So, uh, yeah, it's been good. I thought the photo a description of that award said you're one of the world's top establishments selected by the most discerning of travel experts. I mean, how fabulous was that? Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's yeah. amazing. But the, the restaurant itself, I mean, the setting is, is amazing, as you just said. But you're also, within the restaurant itself, the ambiance is, it's, it's all sort of out there to make people feel relaxed and at home. And I love the idea of the, of the private cellar. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, we, we converted the wine, the wine cellar into a private dining room. And uh, we, we do up to about 18 people down there. And it's an exclusive private venue um, for, for people wanting to sort of get away from, from the main restaurant area. Um, it's especially great if you want to have a business meeting or a business dinner down there. Um, yeah, it's a very, very nice setting in the, in the wine cellar. And talking about awards, I mean, your wine list hasn't done too badly either. Uh, yeah, well, we're always up and down with the wine, the wine list. Um, we, we change it as frequently as we can, um, trying to keep up with trends and also uh, uh, different palettes and, and, and trying to keep up with what uh, costs are involved in, in, in wine consumption uh, in terms of, of uh, uh, what people like to, to, to drink and what uh, they're prepared to spend. Um, so we, we, we don't just have a lot of high-end wines on our wine list. We have middle-of-the-road, uh, low-end wines, uh, just drinking wines, um, but we try and we try and yeah we try and look uh, at our wine list sort of holistically and, and and make it work for everybody. And you have such fabulous wines to, to choose from here in South Africa, so yeah. you can't be going short on those at all. Now, as, as you're part of the vineyard, but you don't have to be a resident to eat at Myoga or, or at the other restaurant. I think Square. Um, anybody can come along and enjoy a meal there. Well, we actually uh, I would say about ninety percent of of our clientele are Capetonians. Um, so from that point of view, it's become an institution, I think. Um, we offer this uh, degustation menu that we offer instead of just sort of one course or one choice per course. Uh, we offer a seven-course a seven tasting menu, and there are five or six choices per course. So people get to enjoy this sort of a la carte degustation, um, which means that not everybody is, is bound to, to things they don't eat. So we try and, mm. and cater for everybody. Um, and that, that works incredibly well. I think people like the, the idea of the choice. You know, yeah. As you say, it's not just a, here's the tasting menu, one item per course, and if you don't like it, well, you know, sorry. So at least you're giving them a choice. Now, I mentioned you're part of the hotel. Just tell, how many rooms are there in the vineyard if people are wanting to pop down and have a stay there? Um, there are 207 rooms, so it's got quite big. They've added on quite a number of rooms since I've been here, actually. And uh, so, yeah, 207, so it's a fairly big hotel. And they've got all sorts of other facilities as well. I mean, it's fabulous for conferences. I've actually attended a conference there. It's really nice. They do, they do really good weddings here. Um, and it's very popular for the weddings. And it's very popular for local conferencing. Um, and, of course, they've got the Aksana the, uh, Spa, mm. um, which is incredibly popular and won, has won numerous awards. Um, and then the, the, the private gym and the beautiful swimming pool um, and the beautiful garden as well. So it's, it's, it's got quite a few amenities. The other thing that's that's very important these days to know as well, Mike, uh, is uh, accessibility. Wheelchair friendly? Yeah, it's very wheelchair friendly. The the Petusi family are quite particular about uh, um, managing their hotel effectively for everybody. Um, so there, there's extensive wheelchair, and I think there's one paraplegic room. There is one paraplegic room. I know there's one. I'm not sure if there are more. 
um, but there's one paraplegic room in the in the hotel. Well, they're actually making a difference because a lot of hotels, I think, are needing to go that way now yeah. because, you know, people want to travel and they need to be able to be comfortable and they need to be able to get in and out of hotels and rooms and all sorts of other things. Um, wine tastings, are there any of those available there, Mike? Um, we, we don't do wine tastings because we, we're pretty uh, booked up every night mm-hmm. uh, with our menu, but the Square Restaurant does winter wine tasting and they have several wine partners. So... They do they do a Friday night wine tasting, um, and that can be found on the Vineyard website, uh, the details of that, um, which uh, is, is, is actually grown quite well for them. So there's, a, there's almost a lot to do. It's almost like a destination in itself. I mean, there's so much to do when you get there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the gardens. Um, I heard there were garden tours there as well. Um, there are. Um, the uh, resident horticulturist, um, Chris Sansell, does walk around tours of the garden, um, which is sort of followed by tea and relaxation on, on the garden terrace. Um, and that can also be found on the website. I think they set down certain dates unless people want to phone in and book a tour specifically. Gosh, as I said, you know, there's just, it just seems to be overflowing with things to do when you get there. Mm. Um, and Myogo, it's not just a dinner restaurant. You're open for lunch as well? We, we are, yeah. Um, lunch is sort of up, up and down because that's the way Cape Town is. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a great destination for lunch. I mean, there's free parking, uh, all the spectacular views, and uh, it's a great lunchtime menu. It's not at all like a dinner menu. It's a much more simplistic lunch menu. And, uh, obviously, I think in summer you can dine outdoors as well. Yeah, we've got a beautiful terrace. We've got two, we've got two patios. Uh, we've got the front terrace, which is uh, overlooking the mountains, uh, with, with a pond running through the terrace. And then on the side, we have another private uh, terraced area. And you, where you are situated, bank smack in the middle of Claremont in Cape Town, you very much, uh, I would attract, I would imagine, the corporate market, people sort of popping in from the office for lunch? Um, not, not too much. Um, it seems to be more of a, of, of a sort of private destination. Um, and uh, we, we do get business lunches, but not as much as I'd like. Um, but certainly from from the point of view of, of dinner, we get a lot of those. Okay, now just because your lunch menu is, it's really nice because you do light snacks and sandwiches and those sorts of uh, things. No, 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 not and sandwiches, I'm just sort of, you know, we do a whole lot of homemade uh, curries. Oh, right. Um, and we do uh, our, our famous sort of desserts. And uh, we don't do sandwiches, but we do sort of light chicken pies um, and we do little pastries, etc. So it sounds like you could pop in in your lunch hour, you, you in and out it's, in your it's hour. It's very quick. Yeah, we actually at the moment we're running a, a Groupon special. Oh right, the and famous that's Groupon. Yes, exceptionally, exceptionally well. So people have have, uh, have booked uh, quite a quite a lot of those, and uh, it's doing it's doing really well. So we're being exposed at the moment to the clientele we we hadn't. Uh, we weren't involved with before. Oh, that's really good. The other, just one last thing, Mike, as well. Are you on the dining art site? Yes. Well, that, that's a website. It's www.dining-out.co.za. Yes. So if you're wanting to find out more information, Mike's restaurants on there, there's loads of wonderful restaurants all over the place on there. So if you're looking for something, somewhere to go that you maybe haven't been to before, there's a load of them on there and lots of interesting places to explore. Mike, it sounds like you're in the perfect position in a wonderful old historic part of Cape Town, which I always love the history of Cape Town. I think it's amazing. And, you know, just reading some of the history of the vineyard, I mean, it survived two world wars. Not, well, and it also survived the Boer War. I think yeah. it sort of managed to survive through all of that, and it's still standing. Mm. 
So it's, it's definitely going to be there for a long time to come, I'm sure. Yeah, I think so. Not going anywhere in a well, hurry. I hope to be there for a long time. Well, I hope so too. Mike, thank you so much for joining All us right. on the show this evening. And uh, good luck. Hopefully lots more people will pop in and have a look and see where you are and enjoy some fabulous food with you. Thanks so much. Thank you for your time. Okay. All right. Thanks. Good night Bye. to you. Mike Bassett is the chef and owner of My Yoga Restaurant at the Vineyard Hotel here in Claremont in Cape Town. And for more information on the vineyard, you can take a look at www.vineyard.co.za. And for more information on Myoga Restaurant, it's M-Y-O-G-A, Myoga Restaurant. You can call them on 021-657-4545, 021-657-4545, or take a look at www.myoga.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. Guess who's back? Hasn't been around for quite a while. He's been swanning about in Australia for, gosh, weeks and weeks and weeks. But he's back in the studio eventually. Graham Howe, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Corinne. It's great to be back in the studio with you. So it was your annual pilgrimage to the uh, tourism exchange in Australia. You were in Sydney this year. I was. I, I was uh, Last year was uh, Perth. And fortunately, um, the Australian Tourism Exchange, or ATE as it's called, um, it's the largest uh, travel trade show of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere, was this year in in Sydney, which is the sort of main gateway really to Australia and very easy to get to from South Africa, as you know. I was very flattered because I was the only media delegate invited not only from South Africa, but as I found out from all of Africa among 27 media invited to attend it, along with, oh, you know, there were 2,200 travel operators from around the world and Australia, delegates at the conference, which was a sort of four-day conference conference uh, in the uh, Sydney Convention and Exhibition Centre, which I was amazed because it, it, it's such a huge centre in, in the middle of Darling Harbour in the main sort of tourist precinct of Sydney. But apparently it's going to be dismantled this year and they're reopening a new mega conference centre, which will be one of the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere over the next two or three years. Well, the, number, so was, the amount of time you've spent in Australia, I mean, you're practically an honorary Australian. <laughs> well, and at least I can play the uh, didgeridoo now. No, um, hang on, that's <laughs> interesting because apparently that isn't what it's supposed to be called, is it? No, no, it's got a, another uh, name called the Yudaki, and apparently the didgeridoo is the rhythm. It mm. literally translates as, you know, when when they set it up, it's a very sustained rhythm, like, like one long note, it seems, and it's a really difficult instrument to play. And uh, Waylon Boney, one of the uh, representatives of indigenous tourism or aboriginal tourism among the many activities that are showcased at ATE was there and I told him I'd won this massive didgeridoo that looked like a bazooka that I had trouble getting back on the plane a few <laughs> years ago and I won it in a business card drawn. It's a beautiful didgeridoo made of bark and it's not one of these modern fiberglass. It's a real traditional didgeridoo and even the selection of the tree, the whole process takes ages. So I was very honoured to be able to, to bring it back. But I've really oh, had... You took it back with you when you went for the exchange? Yes, this was a few years ago. Oh, okay. Yes, so I took it back to, to oh, Cape Town oh, 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 from I see, Australia. I took it back there to go and learn how to play it. And it's been sitting on the sort of mantelpiece ever since, and occasionally I manage a few odd noises. Anyway, <laughs> and he he, uh, he he demonstrated this, the, the breathing technique and the fact that you don't wrap your lips around the outside, you actually wrap them on the inside. And I managed to get a few good notes and, get some, and colleagues took some hilarious pictures of me playing it. He's actually from Voyages Indigenous Tourism Australia, and they run 
classes in everything from dance to to the traditional paint and colors. And, and so you can actually go there and really experience at an authentic level at the Ayers Rock Resort. So this is just one of the things, learn how to play an Aboriginal, learn how to dance, learn how to throw a, a boomerang. So who knows, next year, hopefully when I go over, I'm hoping to come back with a whole new range of, of survival skills, including <laughs> hurling a boomerang and making it come back. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's one of those uh, trivial pursuit questions, and you can sound terribly clever knowing that it's actually called a Yadaki. And it's after a specific man who introduced yeah. it in the Northern Territory, and apparently it was brought in. So the didgeridoo is actually the, the, the sound that it makes, yes. the rhythm. Yes. And it's the actual instrument is called yeah. a Yadaki. Yeah. I've never heard that word yes. before, so yeah. I've learned something now. Yeah, it sounds Greek, actually, doesn't it? it? Does I hope he wasn't bit. pulling my leg. Oh, well, um, okay, maybe we should look into that then. <laughs> <laughs> but so you can uh, the thing is that, that there are all of these, some 725 operators across the Australian tourism industry, from adventure tourism and cultural tourism and eco-tourism, luxury resorts, golf, you know, sun and surf, and then all the transport operators, you know, cars, boats and planes, and they all come and exhibit at ATE in this huge hall, which is broken down into all the different state divisions. So you can literally, within about an hour, walk from the sort of Northern Territory in Queensland up north, down through New South Wales, Victoria, and Western Australia and Tasmania. And of course, this year, Destination New South Wales, the marketing company for ATE, was one of the hosts of the conference, along with Qantas and Tourism Australia. And so there are many activities during the day, actually quite practical ones, not only learning how to play a didgeridoo, but watching um, Aboriginal artists do that sort of pointillist work. Um, and some of Australia's top chefs who come in to showcase regional produce and seafood barbecues and a, a happy hour that in true Australian tradition actually goes on for two hours. So <laughs> you really do. You not, not only get two drinks for the price of one, you get two hours for the price of one. And every evening there would be all of these activities, including wine tastings and and the opportunity to interface with a whole range of uh, tour operators around new products on the market, and especially new technology, which is where Australia really is a world leader with tourism technology. And that's always very impressive to see how they're using social media to promote what is now the, the biggest destination uh, marketing site in the world with, I think, something like 14 Point two million users on their, their their Facebook, and there's nothing like Australia ad campaign, which continues. Now, every time I hear of you going off to Sydney, I have visions of you climbing the bridge. Did you do that? You always forever climbing the Sydney Bridge. Did you do that again this time, or was there too much else to do? Well, it was the one thing I didn't do because I got my master's certificate after my last three climbs, and and there are three different routes you can take: a sort of speed route, which uh, is is for the sort of busy tourist, I suppose, the longer route, and a very scenic route that looks into sort of all the uh, the ins and outs of the of the bridge. So, in fact, I didn't do it. I did manage to do a harbour cruise. The first night I got in, in fact, I took a long walk from the hotel I was staying at, which was called the Siebel Pier One, um, which is a luxury hotel right at the foot of the bridge. It's very dramatic because I would sort of fall asleep to the sound of, of fishermen and seagulls right in Sydney Harbour, and, and my suite and, and the balcony uh, actually looked right, right out onto this pier. And then I'd wake up to the first train coming in, and rumbling on the bridge at about sort of five in the morning. From there, I could take a walk all through Circular Quay through the main ferry terminal where all the gorgeous ferries that ply the uh, Sydney Harbour from the North Shore to the, to the South and the West Parramatta Inn and walk all through the Botanical Gardens at sunset and then sunrise again for exercise to walk off all the great all food, the food I was having. I must say, it's, I mean, it's, it's a gorgeous city. I would say along with sort of Cape Town and perhaps Rio de Janeiro, San Francisco, there are very 
very few waterfront cities that have that incredible natural location that uh, that Sydney enjoys. And it's a great city to explore, not only on ferry. And I did a Captain Cook cruise around the harbour, which is always great. But uh, I was was able to sort of walk every evening and watch these great big flocks of bats that actually will out of the all the trees in the botanical gardens at sunset being nocturnal. And it's an amazing thing to see the city of skyscrapers almost disappear in a cloud of, of these bats, flying foxes, you know, with these huge mm. wingspans, just out of a sort of movie setting. And For me, that's always, I know I'm in Sydney when I see those, the, the, the bats whirling around uh, downtown. Now, I know that you say that you do a lot of walking to uh, walk off all the good meals and the good food that you've had, but uh, did you really have to enforce that on all your fellow journalists and get them lost <laughs> and extra walking? Was that on purpose or did you just accidentally get lost? I mean, you've well, been to Sydney often enough, Graham. Exactly. Well, and, and, and I told the group of journalists who were staying with us at the uh, Siebel Pier one that one evening we had that there were always functions in the evening and I would walk them over to dinner at a restaurant called Otto's on Wallamaloo Pier which is a sort of 10 minute taxi cab and a, and a two hour walk if you get lost anyway the grandma so version yes, I led them okay. along um, to the uh, the entrance to the botanical gardens only to find that it was actually uh, closed it's the gate closed at I forget 6 or 630 in winter and I think it was around May the first it had just turned into the winter season so at this point, you know, I said, oh, well, we'll probably just have to dodge a few blocks through the city and then turn left. Of course, we do all of this and they started to lose faith. And one of the uh, girls with us took out a, a smartphone and, and switched on her, her navigational aid on it. And so it wasn't entirely my fault. And the next thing I know, we're walking down a tunnel into the sort of speedway. <laughs> and the, 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 I don't know why they have a pavement there. And the pavement narrows. And it suddenly says, um, no pedestrians beyond this point. And at this stage, we're in the sort of middle of the, the channel tunnel, as it were. That's what it looked like. But I could see the restaurant just on the other side of the tunnel. Anyway, we scrambled back, at which point an emergency vehicle came careering towards us. We'd been picked up on cameras, apparently. And we, we went up the side, scrambled up the side of a bank and eventually found this uh, restaurant. And it was worth finding, I must I'm say. I'm almost sure they didn't ask you to lead them anywhere else after that. No, no. Funnily enough, when I, when I, when I said the following morning, um, you know, it's a lovely walk to the convention centre. We don't need to catch the delegates' bus. Behind, I, and I said, I've done it once or twice before. I didn't have any volunteers. Strange Can you that. believe that? You know? That's so, very strange. Gosh, okay. So now we, we're talking about the restaurant that you pretty much got to eventually. But what else was on the dining scene in Sydney? Because when you've been there before, there's always been some amazing restaurants and amazing well, food. And Sydney has several uh, restaurants like Mark and Pier One in the world's top 100 uh, restaurants published every year. And one of the most interesting things we did, well, the welcoming uh, the welcoming dinner was fantastic because it was, and the, and the opening press conferences were actually at the Museum of Contemporary Art. So I'll start there briefly. It was an amazing showcase of New South Wales wine and food and music. And, and arts. And from the, from the top floor of the Museum of Contemporary Art, known as the MCA, you have commanding views of the Sydney Opera House, the bridge, and out across the harbour. And that was fantastic. But best of all was we did a progressive dinner through four of Sydney's top restaurants on a Saturday evening and started with canapes and cocktails in, in one of those revolving um, restaurants, sort of 50 floors or so above Sydney, called the O Bar and Dining, and enjoyed wonderful um, snacks, then made our way to a, a 
a microbrewery and bar called Grain, where we enjoyed microbrewery beers and unusual snacks like deep-fried saltbush and smoked emu. What and, is saltbush? Which bush? you would have thought. Saltbush is a sort of local one of the... They call it bush tucker there, but almost like a wild rosemary we would get in but Australia, I suppose. But deep-fried saltbush. And, and so they, it's sort, they of, just it's sort of wilted and fried. It was absolutely delicious. Okay. Um, almost sort of wilted, I suppose, more. It did have a sort of fried aspect to it. And then we enjoyed contemporary Australian fairy restaurant called Woods at the Four Seasons. And they call it their paddock to plate, where they source, you know, sort of organic, seasonal, mm. local produce. And so that's a big, big expression there, is offering paddock to plate, and from the lamb to mushrooms and the carrots. In fact, I was very amused to see on the uh, on the menu that uh, at Woods that the carrots were described as um, freshly picked from the ground. And I said, wow, you know, I've, I've never plucked carrots from the air. This is a new one for me, <laughs> carrots growing in the ground. So great attention to detail and, and wonderful. And with the highlight we finished was a dessert tasting at Rockpool. I'm at Neil Perry, who's probably one of Australia's most, he is Australia's most famous chef. He does all the, uh, the food now, a bit like the Heston Blumenthal mm. of Australia. I suppose he's been around for a long time for Qantas Mm. for their business and first class menus which I was very um, fortunate to be able to enjoy on the uh, 14 hour flight um, over there certainly a business class seat makes a big difference when you're my size this all sounds Um, terribly upmarket what about us regular travellers where where could we go for a good sort of well they're you know because they have a they have huge Asian and, and sort of Pacific influence on their cuisine. So there are all kinds of sort of small, smaller noodle shops and stores. You can actually eat quite cheaply. You know, you can obviously they've got the top end as well. But for example, I went for a long lunch at a restaurant called Mr. Wong, which was a, a 250-seater Chinese restaurant specializing in dim sum and Ooh. duck. Ooh, and I love and dim that, sum. Oh, and Eric Coe, the head dim sum chef there, actually is from Hakazan in London, which is one of the world's most famous dim sum restaurants. And so we were able to feast, I think, for $32 of, on a platter of dim sum, just about 320 rand. But two or three people can share that. So that's, that's really good value. And I mean, there were crab, lobster, scallop, prawn, pork, mushroom. And we had these, these dumplings, steamed, wok fried, poached, you know, stir fried, you name it. It was incredible, Karen. I mean, the, don't, don't this, you was, me this was a, a feast of dim sum, probably one. And best of all, halfway through the meal, I thought, well, that was a nice lunch. They tied an apron around each of us and we were brought a whole Queensland mud crab to share, Szechuan style. So nice, you know, sort of nice, sort of chili and, uh, and followed with a duck, a peaking duck from the duck room. Now, apparently they serve 60 ducks a day there. It was a real feast. I was told that when I started out traveling years ago that travel broadens the mind. And what I found is that travel actually broadens the waistline too. Um, and so uh, this was certainly one meal that was worth walking off on my long walk around the Sydney waterfront. Yeah, I'm so. sure no one's going to go with you next time though. And they had a wine no. list there that, that had 80 Rieslings on it because, 80. of course, you're looking for those sort of spicier, mm. aromatic Gewürztraminers and to go with Asian food. Any South African um, wines And there? Uh, there weren't any South African wines. Strange, right? Mostly Australian, mm. I think New Zealand, certainly some German Rieslings. But talking of South Africa, apparently South Africa ranks at number 20 as a source country for tourism into Australia, and that would include business, leisure, and of course, what they call VFR, their visiting friends and relatives, which is a big thing because so many South Africans have family connections in Australia these days. And apparently, typically, many would go and visit the family. Well, I don't know whether this is that unusual, really. And then after about a week with the family, decide, <laughs> let's, let's, let's take a fortnight. <laughs> off seeing we've come all this way and actually explore, you mm. know, because Australia does have 
in some ways a very similar interest and feel to South Africa with its with its love of the great outdoors and its love of of, of sports etc. But of course all the wildlife and, and, and is so completely different down under the, the the sort of all the marsupials, all different kinds of kangaroos you get. And there must be at least thirty different ones. In fact, I met some of them on the first day of the conference. Taronga Zoo brought some of their animals briefly to ATE thirteen, and so it's quite odd to see wombats and koalas on leashes, you know, as if walkies, you know. And we also had a fabulous fireworks display to open ATE um, thirteen, and a lot of the Sydney siders actually came down to see this incredible fireworks display over the bridge. Apparently, ATE injects some um, 140 million rand into the economy of the host city. Rand or, the, or Australian dollars? No, 14 million Australian dollars, 40 million. which is about 140 million rand wow. at the current exchange rate. So, you know, it's 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 a big event in, in travel and, and, and tourism in, in the southern hemisphere. How are they um, actually faring in terms of tourism growth in Australia? I think it grew by about 5% to, to just over 6 million foreign visitors in 2012, and they spend about 77.5 billion Australian uh, dollars. Wow. So, I mean, it's a big spend. And the thing is that because it's a long-haul destination like South Africa, people tend to go longer. And, of course, it's also a tremendously popular backpacker market. And I would say one very affordable way for South Africans to go, and this was showcased at um, ATE 13, is that there are a lot of ways for young South Africans to work in farm, working farm stays. Uh, from They call it woofing these days. Working on organic farms is a big international movement. And, and are able to get working holiday visas for volunteer conservation programs. And in fact, even applying for the best jobs in the world. Remember when they offered a job yes. staying on an island That's right. for I remember that. six months in Queensland and got mm. tens of thousands of applications. And so, in fact, you can see a site called www.australia.com slash best jobs and actually look for those kinds of really weird and wonderful jobs and, you know, work on an outback station, uh, even work clearing weeds and trees in, in national park areas. There's some 57,000 or so tourists visit Australia from South Africa every year. And I think there was a single message that I got at ATE this year was that in terms of the use of technology and social media, they call it third-party digital advocacy, which is a big word for referrals from ordinary travelers and bloggers and backpackers who might blog their experience while traveling or working in Australia. And it's been hugely effectual as a sort of peer review in recommending to other travelers. So they don't only use formal print mechanisms of magazines and, and uh, online, but also just ordinary uh, bloggers to reach people. And one of the key, especially in my area, I met with a lot of wine tourism operators, and they have this best of program tourism Australia where they pick because they have something like I forget was just under 30,000 tourism activities and they pick the 10 best golf the 10 best um, resorts the 10 best champions of indigenous tourism and this year they pick the ultimate winery experiences not just a winery that would it goes way beyond a wine tasting, but where you could do a whole range of other activities from food to accommodation. And so wine tourism in the broadest sense. And this ultimate winery experiences was, was one of the big initiatives because they say, I think Andrew McAvoy, the, the uh, MD of Tourism Australia, actually said, you know, people travel on their belly and they travel to experience difference. And they, you certainly find that in typically in food and wine. And so there's a huge focus on traditional Australian produce, much as 
as we are emphasizing in South Africa these days, the uniqueness of our um, ingredients um, and local produce, whether it's springbuck or burrovors. And, you know, there's a, there's a focus on, on that in Australia as well. In fact, there was 280,000 tourism experiences is apparently the current headcount of all the range of food, wine, adventure, eco-cultural. So I think that's a great program to pick the top 10. And people love a top 10 things to do, like the top 10 national landscapes is another program. So I find um, attending ATE very useful, to, both in terms of tourism technology and a very global high-tech point of view on growing on trends in travel and tourism, but also because it gives you a wonderful opportunity to explore the host city and region while you're there, whether it's Sydney, Perth, Melbourne, Brisbane. And Australia does have, being an enormous country with, with such a small population, an amazing sort of cornucopia of, of, of attractions for the tourist. Well, I'm very glad you're back, Graham. It sounds like you had a wonderful time. Glad you're back in the country. I'm a bit nervous about uh, chatting to you next week about your next destination. Um, <laughs> yes, I'll explain why later. But thank you very much for joining us this evening. And uh, I'm a little nervous about next time, but we'll uh, we'll see you then. Thanks, Karen. It's great to be back on the show. Graham Howe is a freelance travel journalist. He attended ATE 2013 as a guest of Qantas Tourism Australia and Tourism New South Wales. And to find out more about new tourist attractions and destinations across Australia and in New South Wales, there's a few websites. There's www.australia.com, there's www.destinationnsw.com and www.qantas.com. Time to travel with Karen Key. If you're a regular listener to Time to Travel on SAFM on Wednesday evenings just after nine, you'll know that I always encourage you to become tourists in your own town or city. Now, what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and think about something unusual or different that you'd like to share, something you'd like to highlight that makes your town or city so special, something you wouldn't hesitate to recommend to a tourist to your area. Then send me an email to travel at safm.co.za or post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. And as soon as I have a good selection, I'd like to start a feature on the show called My Town. And who knows, I may even call you up and invite you to tell the listeners all about it. Well, I'm joined on the line this evening by Fiona McIntosh. She has been on the show quite a long time ago. I think she was talking to us then about slack packing, if my memory serves me. She's written the most fabulous book. It's called Mild to Wild, Adventures and Activities in Southern Africa. It's for the it's not it's not only just for those wildly adventurous types, but if you the more sedate adventurer, there's lots in here for you to explore and to do as well. Fiona, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful book. Tell me a little bit about how you went about putting all of this information together because you must have had an awful lot to choose from and I always I never envy people when they have to try and cut all of that down to fit into one book. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. I mean, living in Africa is just so many opportunities. And as you said, it's not just a, the hardcore adventure stuff, which is really my forte and my, my passion. There is just so much to do in the way of ballooning and boat cruises and leisurely activities um, that appeal to everybody. So, yes, selecting things were a real problem, but I've only featured things that I've actually done, so that made it a bit easier. Okay, so you haven't sort of looked it up in a pamphlet or in a guidebook or something and said, oh, that looks interesting, I'll put that in the book. You've actually gone out there and done everything yourself. So if anybody picks up this book, they know that it's doable. Absolutely, and they know that the operator is reputable and that they can 
you know, trust us. Well, the, the other thing is you've d- divided it up into in all the different countries in Southern Africa, but you also divided that those chapters up into things on land, on water, in the air. So you can pick what you would like, where you would like to start and what you'd like to do when you get there. Yes, absolutely. It, it's designed to make it easy reference and to allow you to indulge your, your particular passions and focus on the activities that you most enjoy. So give us a little bit of a, of a sort of taste of what's in here, how you, what some of the things are that you've experienced. Well, I suppose highlights for me would be things like guerrilla tracking in Uganda. Um, I think Uganda is a very underrated country. It's got incredible wildlife opportunities. It's got things like a bungee and all the white water spills that you'd expect from the Zambezi River, for example, you'll find on the Nile. Um, it's got incredible trekking. I would say that climbing in the Ruinsoris, trekking in the Ruinsoris is way better than climbing Kilimanjaro, for example. You know, it's an experience that allows you to experience the same sort of scenery. You know, there are glaciated peaks and those wonderful great lobelia and um, vegetation types that you find on Kenya and Kilimanjaro, but without the crowds. So that would be a, a big highlight for me. And then things like uh, snorkeling with whale sharks in Mozambique, which is very, very accessible to anybody. You know, you, you can wear a, a life vest if you can't swim, and to swim with the biggest fish in the sea is you know, just a, a mind-blowing experience. So researching the book was, was exciting. It, it allowed me to taste a whole range of activities that, that, you know, in some cases I just didn't even know existed. The other thing, I've mentioned that it covers uh, Southern Africa, but you've also very nicely included the Indian Ocean Islands, where there's a lot of things to do in the outdoors. There are. Um, I remember, I'm actually British, and I came to South Africa 18 years ago, and the first trip I made was to Reunion, which is just the most incredible adventure playground. I mean, the French know Reunion well, because it's actually a department of France. So you've got all that sort of first world sophistication, and they just love it. You know, they, they come in their, their hordes to experience some of the adventures there. Um, you know, we, we tend to focus more on Mauritius, which in itself is a beautiful place to visit, and, and Seychelles. But there's a lot more to the Indian Ocean than many South Africans realize. Rather sadly, our, 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 the American president, Barack Obama, was in South Africa earlier this week and uh, he was stopping off, I think, for a day or two in Tanzania. But having read through your book, almost, if he'd had hold of this book, I don't think he would have just stayed there for a day or two. I think he would have loved to go and explore a wonderful, wonderful country. Absolutely, poor man. I don't suppose he has much time for exploring <laughs> no. anything there. So give us a taste of Tanzania. If, if we were President Barack Obama with some more time on our hands, what would we go and have a look at in Tanzania? Well, I think Tanzania has some of the best game viewing in the world. I mean, for me, the Gorongora Crater is the most spectacular place to see wildlife, um, simply because of its setting. You, know, you you drive down into this misty crater, and um, the Serengeti nearby is also you know one of the top wildlife experiences. And I, I think what Tanzania has done very well is it has really controlled the game viewing experiences, you don't get any of the sort of mad driving off-road that you get in nearby Kenya, for example. So that would be a big highlight for me of Tanzania. One of the things looking through that uh, in Tanzania specifically really appeals to me was the archaeological stuff that goes on there. I mean, there's amazing things you can go and have a look at there. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the leaky sites, you know, really are fantastic. And it's all very much in the same area. 
So you can, you know, you can climb high mountains in Tanzania. You can go and look at the ancient hominid sites. And, and the nice thing about Tanzania is, is the variety. It's also close. You, you can go to Zanzibar and go scuba diving. You know, it's, a, it's an hour's flight away from the hominid sites and from the, or from Kilimanjaro, whatever. The other place I think that is a little bit less explored, especially I think by South Africans when they go up there, is Zambia. We tend to pop up there and go and have a look at Victoria Falls from the Zambian side. But there's so much more to do when you get there. Absolutely. And again, you know, it's really the diverse game viewing experiences. You can take microlight flights or you can do mountain bike safaris. Um, I, I think... Zambia benefited, obviously, from Zimbabwe's economic woes. But again, most people, as you say, tend to focus on the Big Falls area because it's the most accessible. But the game doing it in Zambia is quite exceptional. And Mozambique is another favorite destination of South Africans. But also, I think we tend to go up there for the beaches more than anything else and to potter about in the markets and things. But also, again, you know, get hold of this book. You'll be amazed to see what else you could do once you got there. Yes, I just got back from Mozambique last night, in fact. Um, it's one of my absolute favorite playgrounds. And uh, the, the Limpopo Transfrontier Park, the extension of the, of the Kruger Park, is really opening up with a lot of canoe trails, four-by-four trails, and hiking trails, backpacking trails to, to rival those in, in the Kruger Park. It was nice to see quite a the South Africa, obviously, is right at the start of the book. It's the first country that you cover. And, you know, I always talk about this being the most phenomenal country and the most amazing country with so much to see and so much to do. We just need to go and explore our own country. Yes, I think so. Again, I've just come back from a road tripping book. I'm doing a whole series of um, routes around South Africa, and it just stands me how much there is on the doorstep. Every time I go away, I come back and I just think, why do I go away? You know, it's all here. I, I live in Cape Town. I've got the mountain. You know, yesterday was the most beautiful day. I went out kayaking in Force Bay. You know, the great white sharks are around at the moment. The whales are around at the moment. I mean, we're so spoiled. The one thing I really enjoy about your book, and if my listeners who listen frequently will know, that I love any book like yours that has lots of little boxes in them. I love all that little bit of extra information that you pop into those boxes. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. I mean, it, it's always, again, difficult to know how much to put in. Um, but we try to throw in historical asides and little bits of interest on particular animals or whatever. I suspect that kind of reflects my interest as well, the fact that I couldn't put that in, in the main body of the text. Mm. I had to put it in somewhere. <laughs> you can't leave that out. And also the way the book is structured, though, Fiona, you've, you've, you've indicated in red things are wild. They're yellow if they're mild. So you can see at a glance what, you know, what level that adventure or that activity is so you can decide for yourself and of course you've included the most important thing all the contact numbers website addresses so people don't have any excuse about not being able to find these these things or find out further information if they want to no absolutely we've tried to put it on a plate so no more excuses people should just get out there and really experience this full range of adventures how long did it take you to actually put all of this together because the layout is absolutely fantastic well, I suppose it's, it's sort of a lifetime of work because I'm constantly researching and constantly gathering information. So I've been traveling around 
Africa for the last 20 years. The up-to-date sort of checking of information is obviously an ongoing process and a rather tedious one. So that was all done in the, the three months before we put the book together. But it's the designers who deserve the credit for the layout. I mean, Mount Studio have the most incredible design team who really work to make things very user-friendly, to make things very visual. And I think they've done a stunning job. It's, it's really well set out. Also, lots of maps, so you're never going to get lost. Lots of maps. In each section, you'll find maps everywhere, area maps, and you can find whatever you're looking for. It's got, it's got um, all the little towns and the... It's literally... I mean, it's everything you're going to need in a map is in there, so you, you're not going to be missing out on anything there. And I believe you're off uh, to Peru, is it, Fiona? That, that's right. I'm going to climb Alpamea, which is a beautiful triangular mountain in Peru, a, a, a glaciated peak. So I'm packing my ice axe and my crampons and off I go on Wednesday. A book out of this? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I'm now editing an online magazine, um, Nightjar Travel, so I do a lot of overseas work for that. So I'm always writing about my adventures, but not a book. But you're not going to stop travelling, I'm almost sure. Oh, I'll never stop travelling. It's definitely in my blood. Well, Fiona, I highly recommend this book. It's published by Map Studio, as you said, and it's available, I would imagine, in all good bookstores. Definitely something to uh, maybe buy yourself an early Christmas present because I don't think you can wait until Christmas to get hold of this. You'll really want to have a look at this now. And it's one of those things that if you're going to go travelling, pop it in the car. You need to have this with you while you are travelling through Southern Africa because otherwise you might just miss something. And if you're like me, you'd hate to miss anything. Fiona, thank you very much indeed for joining me on the show this evening and good luck with your climb in Peru and hopefully we'll chat with you when you come back. I was chatting there with Fiona McIntosh, and she's the author of Mild to Wild, Adventures and Activities in Southern Africa. It's a fabulous book, really something I would highly recommend you get hold of. It's available at all good bookstores and published, as I said, by Map Studio. And uh, here's the good news. I have three copies of the book. So for the first three callers to get through, you'll each get yourself a copy of Mild to Wild by Fiona McIntosh. So call us now on 0892 10 Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, I'm joined on the line again this evening by Jenny Prinsler, and she's the CEO of the Franchuk Wine Valley. And, you know, Franchuk, there's always something going on there. Well, coming up next weekend, the 13th and the 14th of July, it's the Franchuk Bastille Festival. Jenny, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Karen. It's always good to be with you. Well, it doesn't seem like you have a break there. It's always something. I think we spoke last when you had Cook Franchuk on. How did that go? Yes, it went really, really well, and our numbers were up, and our food was very interesting, and we had wine pairings with the food, so that was brilliant. So what's happening next weekend for Bastille Festival, the annual next festival? Weekend, yes, it's the 20th year that we're celebrating Bastille Festival in France. So we have 27 wineries taking part in the food and wine marquee, and 17 restaurants from France. And they've all got some wonderful offerings. Um, and then we also have the VIP marquee, um, which you can buy tickets for separately. And in that area, we have the, uh, also a French theme of decor, and then some special food from bread and wine, which includes charcuterie and cassoulet, and a very nice vegetarian option, which is Neil's signature risotto, with a lovely uh, dessert. And people can taste the top selection of Franschuk wines at the VIP marquee. But in the food and wine marquee, we have some wonderful food such as mussels and hand-cut chips from Haute Cabriere, 
a pork belly sandwich and a milk tart cone from Holden Mons. And then from Maison, we have biltong, chorizo or saucisson. And from Rubens, we have braised beef bourguignon, aligot potato, and a very nice creamy chicken and prawn curry. And we've got a seafood bisque from Rickety Bridge, as well as calamari and prawns from Solms Delta. And then uh, we have pancakes from the hospice. You're making me drool, Jenny, just <laughs> listening to all of that. <laughs> the other thing about the Bastille Festival is you have your annual bulls competition, and I think it's the longest and largest running bulls competition of its kind. It is. It's the, the longest running one in South Africa and one of the largest. And um, teams come from all over the country. So it's a very exciting day, and it's always held in the grounds uh, next to the Enghiaker. Okay, that's on the main road. Yes. Okay. On the and main road. Also, you have the annual waiters race. It's always a lot of fun. Now, this is an amazing thing. It's actually an international um, event, the waiters race. It's held all over the world in different wine regions. And we have our waiters from the restaurants who need to dress up with their apron and carry a tray on which is a bottle and two glasses. And they need to run with this um, tray, and it's a relay race. But just to mention that there's no glass involved. Everything is safe, and uh, the bottle and the glasses are plastic. Okay, so it's not a case of, you know, if they drop it, it's not going to smash everywhere. No, but it's so much fun, and people are, are cheering. The crowds are cheering from the sides, and this happens in the main, in the main street. It's all the regular things happening that weekend, Jenny, the, the, the Franchuk Minstrel Parade, the popular barrel rolling contest, that's always a lot of fun. The barrel rolling is wonderful because we have teams from our wineries that get together and compete. And two people have to roll a barrel down the street, so there are different teams competing at the same time. And it's about who can get to the other end in the quickest time. So that's also a huge amount of fun, and um, and people are, are cheering and enjoying it uh, along the side of the street. And the minstrels, when when can people expect to see the, the minstrel parade? The minstrel parade is on Saturday, and it's at 11 o'clock till quarter to 12, and that also takes place in the main street. And that is the Bastille Sons Delta Band, which performs every year, and they do the parade. And it's also um, wonderful. It's a, it's, it's a full-on band um, with all the different instruments. And um, it's a wonderful parade. And that that's almost kicks off the, the uh, festivities in the main street. But there's a whole lot more going on as well. I mean, these are all the big events that are yes. happening over that weekend. But there's lots of smaller little side things, the craft markets, the farmer's markets. And obviously, yes. you know, that we'll be talking a lot about wine here being Franchuk, obviously. But it's not all about the adults. There are lots of things happening for the children as well. So bring the family. There are lots of things happening for the children. We have mime artists and face painters. And then we have local choirs that will be singing outside the town hall, as well as the Franchuk Steel Band, which will be playing on the grass outside the town hall, and that's on Saturday and Sunday. So there are a lot of activities for the kids. What about accommodation? We've got a week to go. Jenny, any chance there's still some accommodation available? Well, some um, of the accommodation is sold out. For example, the um, self-catering accommodation, but we've got accommodation still available, some for guest houses and for bed and breakfasts, um, as well as some in the hotel. So people must really uh, book this week. And they can book by uh, phoning our office, the information office, and that's on 021-876-2861. 
or they can go onto our website and book directly with our accommodation establishments, and that is www.franchhook.org.za. So there are there's still some accommodation, but just one other little point. It's less than an hour from Cape Town. So, you know, if you're from Cape Town and you're wanting to pop out for the day, it's less than an hour to get there. That's right. It's yes. not that far. Less than an hour. And um, we will hear the weather forecast on Wednesday, and we're hoping that we're going to have wonderful weather this year, but we will keep everyone updated on that on our Facebook and on our, on our Twitter. Okay, and there is actually a dedicated website as well, franchukbastille.co.za, if people are looking for more information or for program of events, I would imagine, is on there as well? Yes, there is a, a dedicated website for the festival, and the theme this year is Boots and Berets. Oh, right, all very French. Boots and berets, and people can buy their berets from the hospice stand, which will be at the town hall. Okay, that's money to a good cause as, cause as well. Yes. So, and for purchasing tickets, Jenny? For purchasing tickets, that is on web tickets. So it's www.webticketswithans.co.za. And limited, are tickets limited at all? I mean, are there just a certain the, number? Yes, the tickets are selling fast. But the tickets for the food and wine marquee are 150 rand per person, and the tickets for the VIP marquee are 550 rand per person. Which also includes access to the food and wine marquee. Yes, it includes access and it includes coupons for tasting in the food and wine marquee and a complimentary glass. Okay, so you get you almost get two for the price of one because you're yes. getting the VIP thing and you're also then getting the general food and wine marquee. Now, are both lots of tickets are being limited, Jenny, or just the one lot? Um, no, they they both are being limited. So um, best get on and book this week, and because I know we have quite a, a rush um, at the last minute, so it would be a very good idea to book this week. And we also have live music in the food and wine marquee. Um, we're going to be having two different bands playing. So that all adds to the festivities and uh, the general atmosphere. It sounds like, once again, a fabulous weekend in Franchuk. Yes, Karen, and you're going to have to come one of these days. I'm going to have to come one of these days. When I'm not working, <laughs> I'll definitely make a point of doing that. Jenny, I wish you much success with us once again. As you said, it's the 20th year you're celebrating the Bastille Festival. I hope it goes off as well as all the others have. And Enjoy. Thank you so much, Karen. Great to speak to you again. Thank you for your time. I was chatting there with Jenny Prinsloo, CEO of the Franschuk Wine Valley. Now, next weekend, the 13th and 14th of July, they're celebrating the Franschuk Bastille Festival. Now, there's a lot of details here that you might need to go and get a pen for. If you wanted to find out more about the accommodation and where you can book and that sort of thing, you need to get hold of the Franschuk Wine Valley's office. Now, they have a number you can call. It's 021-876-2861, or you can go onto their website, Franschuk. Remember, two H's in the middle, franchuk.org.za. If you wanted to find out more about the festival, or the you know what's happening, all the different events that are going on, when they'll be happening, where they'll be happening, they have a dedicated website. It's www.franchukbastille.co.za. And for booking your tickets, as Jenny says, they are going to be limited. So if you don't book them now, you're not going to get in. And you can book your tickets via web tickets on webtickets.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key.
And thank you to all of those who called in for that book giveaway, Mild to Wild. Gosh, the switchboard went absolutely crazy. The first three people to get through, Marion Cumming in Port Elizabeth, Ahmed Parak in Durban, and another Port Elizabeth winner, Harry Petrie. Well, congratulations to the three of you. Your books will be on their way to you shortly, and I'm sure you will enjoy your books as much as I enjoyed the one I had a chance to read. And before we go, just a reminder that the Umgeni Steam Railway is having special winter school holidays, special trains this coming weekend. And uh, if you'd like to find out more about that, you can have a look at their website. It's umgenisteamrailway.co.za. Well, that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karin Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you on Monday evening just after nine with the Law Report when Attorney Nicolene Skuman will be joining us for our monthly law clinic. That's the Law Report on Monday, the 8th of July. If you need any information about something you've heard this evening, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM.